You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about protecting consumers, and we're going to be talking about medical privacy but I have this guest who is absolutely a wonderful attorney from Los Angeles. Let me tell you a little bit about Brian Kabatek, who is our guest. He's a plaintiff's only attorney who currently represents thousands of victims in such things as mass tort litigation, class actions, insurance bad faith, insurance litigation, personal injury, wrongful death, commercial contingency litigation, all sorts of stuff like this. And I had actually found him by a wonderful article he wrote in the Daily Journal about protecting privacy being so much more important than ever, especially with medical privacy. But let me tell you a little bit more about him. He was lead counsel for the NAACP's class action against Wells Fargo, HSBC, Citibank, GMAC, Washington Mutual, and other financial institutions for their discriminatory practices. And he recently secured a settlement in which Wells Fargo and Company changed its banking practices to abide by the NAACP's fair lending practices. The bank is also now going to open its book for regular audits of its lending lending practices and will help to fund financial freedom centers throughout the country. So this is really a wonderful thing that he's doing for the whole nation. Also, uh, Mr. Kabatek brought the only cases for victims of the Armenian genocide against banks and insurance companies, and he is currently litigating on behalf of those families of other ethnic minorities, such as Greeks, who were victimized during the genocide. Interestingly enough, on our other show, Prescriptions for Healing Conflict, we had a woman whose parents were victims of the Armenian genocide, and she wrote a book about it, so... I am real familiar with all the pain that these people went through. And he's also working, um, Brian is also working on behalf of consumers to recover millions in unlawfully denied insurance claims resulting from some of the recent fires, earthquakes, and hurricanes. So he is definitely wearing a white hat, and he is an expert on consumer protection. And we, he's worked with the California legislature, the Department of Insurance, to help draft laws to protect us. And so he's even done groundbreaking law to help earthquake victims recover claims from insurance companies. So you can find more about him and his whole firm at kblawyers.com. So without further ado, thank you, Brian, so much for all you do, and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Maureen. Thank, me, thank you very much for having me on today. So let's talk a little bit about privacy and digital privacy in the information age. How big of a problem is patient privacy in today's digital age? It, it's, it is a big problem, and it could be a potentially bigger problem if something isn't done relatively soon to try to arrest this problem. And 
the core in my mind is we've moved very fast. I mean, in the scheme of, say, 5,000 years of the history of sort of organized society, we've moved very fast from a paper society to a digital or digitalized society. Uh, And I think that's what's been a cause of a lot of problems here because what we've done is we've taken medical records, we've taken patient records, and these are, I think without dispute, some of the most critically important information about people on an individual basis. Oh, yes, sensitive stuff, very sensitive, confidential stuff. Especially when you consider that uh, this is what could affect people to getting jobs, this is what could affect them to get insurance, it could affect their entire life if that kind of information were improperly disseminated. And a lot of times there's information about your own medical history, particularly if you've lived long enough to have a medical history, that taken out of context can be devastating for somebody. And we've seen these kinds of situations before. People are in therapy, people are in counseling, people had a particular type of injury or or potentially disabling injury which resolved itself. Yet taken out of context, it can be ruinous to someone's personal life or their professional career. Right. And now when we're talking about digital records, it is transferred in a nanosecond and it's shared all the time in a nanosecond and and HIPAA doesn't really protect us that much. So this information, whether it's correct or not, is, is sent all over. Even if it's correct, you're right that it can cause problems. But you know, I deal with people when it's not right, you know, when it's incorrect, when it's identity theft, when, you know, when a medical record is merged with another medical record or it's mixed because of identity theft, then it's it's hell and high water to get that corrected. And, and it's so hard to do. And, you know, you don't even really have a private right of action, at least under HIPAA for, for all this kind of craziness. So so it is a huge problem since now in the digital age, it you know, it is. it can be shared so many different places, right? That's right. And that really is the core of the problem, is information which is digitized, which is available, which can go out, you know, into the Internet or on the, online, uh, can be disseminated very, very quickly. And if we're not talking about whether the information is accurate or inaccurate. We're talking about information that is the most private information that people have. So we have to consider... What are we doing as as a society at this point in time to protect this kind of information, to send the message to medical providers, yes, it's okay to put this kind of information online or to have this kind of information available um, electronically in some sort of form, but if you're going to do it, you have to follow some rules. Exactly. So let's talk about what healthcare providers really are supposed to do to protect against the disclosure of this private medical information. That's that's such a good question because what they're supposed to do can simply be boiled down to the simplest statement, which, uh, which is simply they're supposed to protect it. They're supposed to make sure that that information doesn't get out, that that information doesn't go to anybody that isn't authorized to get that information. And as things change rapidly, medical providers have to keep up with changes in technology because they have to acknowledge and realize that there are there are bad people out there. There are people that want to hack into computers, that want to access private information. And they have to protect against that end of the spectrum, but they also have to protect against the, the inadvertent disclosure of information. I mean, this isn't simply forgetting to pick up a file that you left on a counter someplace. This is 
kinds of cases where information gets sent out into the Internet by accident or it gets put on um, non-password-protected sites and it gets disseminated to the world. And once, as we know, it's out, once some information's out there, we know that uh, that information isn't going to go away. It's, it's, the, it's the problem we're seeing now with people, with young people particularly, putting things on YouTube and thinking that it won't come back to haunt them four or five years later, and it does. It's the same problem with these kind of medical records. If they're put out there, once they're out there, the damage is potentially done because it's hard to close that barn door after the cows have gotten out. Right. Even if you get one site to take it down, it's probably been copied and archived somewhere else. And so you know, you know, you could keep chasing it, and it's always there, and it's going to reappear. Let's talk about California law. What laws exist right now to regulate the healthcare industry and protect our privacy with regard to patient records? California, as far as I know, has a very unique law uh, called the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, or CMIA. And this is a law that was passed by the legislature in California and applies to Californians and to California medical providers. And it, it is a very strict law that requires this kind of information, private medical information, be absolutely protected. And there's a cost or there's a penalty for them failing to, um, to protect against it. And it's not just HIPAA, which is the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. It goes beyond that in the kind of protection that it affords consumers. So let's talk about the difference for, you know, for my audience. They, may, they know HIPAA. They, they sign these disclosure. Uh, that, they say they're privacy disclosures, but, but they're basically just disclosures who we're going to share with. It doesn't really give you much privacy. So they're used to seeing HIPAA, and they're used to seeing what – they don't really know what it means, but they're used to signing these forms so that they can go to their dentist or their doctor or the hospital. So let's talk about the difference between HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which is federal, and the Confidentiality of Medical Information Act, which is California. So the first thing we have to talk about is who it applies to. So HIPAA generally applies to health care providers such as doctors and dentists, health care plans, health care clearinghouses such as billing companies. But the CMIA, the California law, applies to the same entities plus others, such as contractors of health care providers, uh, larger health care plans, health care administrators, record providers, employers, and recipients of confidential health information. So that's the first thing. It's, it's broader. It applies to more people. More people are subject to it. But here's where it's really important in a distinction between HIPAA is they're actually, the legislature in California actually decided that this is such a significant violation. Instead of requiring consumers to prove actual damages, and I'll talk about that in a moment, instead of requiring to prove actual damages, the law will imply that there's a minimum actual damage for every consumer of $1,000. And I personally believe that that's important because it's very, very difficult in some cases to establish what your damages are because private information has been disseminated. Now, there are cases where there's significant damage. People lose jobs, people lose opportunities, there's a financial cost involved. But in a lot of cases, people can't actually point to something and say, your dissemination of my private medical information cost me money, 
and here's how. That doesn't normally happen. So the legislature said, we're going to impose kind of like liquidated damages for a minimum threshold. It's a floor. Now, if you have a, a, a victim who's able to establish their damages are much more substantial than $1,000, they're able to prove that, and they're able to, to collect those kind of damages for a violation. But I think, Murray, that's an incredibly important distinction between any other law that I'm aware of when it comes to this kind of private information uh, and the California law. Exactly. And under HIPAA, there really isn't a private right of action, right? It, it has to be through the Department of Health and Human Services. I mean, it isn't the same. You can't even sue individually under HIPAA. Am I correct? That's generally the rule. And here, the California legislature is saying, we believe the legislation affects a change and can affect behavioral change in society. And I think that's right. I think that by telling these medical providers there is a cost for disseminating information, whether it's through negligence or whether it's through intentional conduct, there's a cost for that. And the cost is a minimum of $1,000 per person. That sends a strong message. Yes. How about a statute of limitations? Because I I know of a case that there's been all sorts of disclosures, and I just wondered about, you know, what if a a patient doesn't find out about it for years? Is there anything like, you know, like with identity theft, for example, under federal law, it's two years from the date you knew or should have known and up to five years. So I'm just wondering, for, for people who don't find out about it right away, that... Is it when they find out about it that they have a certain statute of limitations, or do you, do you know? I believe, I think, Maury, that the, the first rule is going to be there's going to be no trigger of a statute running. In other words, your obligation to file a lawsuit doesn't start until you know about it. I don't know what the outside rule is in California under this particular yeah, statute. Yeah, yeah. I really don't know what it is. I do know that the consumer has to know about it. I also know that uh, once the healthcare provider knows that this information has been disseminated, they have affirmative obligations to notify you yes. and to let you know that this information has been disseminated. Exactly. That it's like a security breach. And, and under our security breach legislation in California a couple of years ago, we added medical information that they had to tell you when any medical information was put into the hands that was lost or stolen or acquired by a a non-authorized person. So you're right, but sometimes that doesn't happen, you know. So, yeah. So in terms of of, of California versus other states, are we um, better or are we worse? Or where are we with regard to other states and how they've handled confidential medical information? I think this is unique to California. I don't think that you find a statute like this in any other jurisdiction, at least that I'm aware of. So I think that it's groundbreaking, and I think that it demonstrates that the legislature in California has determined that this is a, a critical area to protect consumers in, because this law is so pro-consumer, and it's so um, it's so much directed at making the healthcare provider pay for a mistake. Because I think that's what's going to ultimately change this in society. I think that looking down the road 10, 15 years from now, this isn't going to be a major problem 10 or 15 years from now, at least like this, at least at this magnitude, because the message is going to get across to these to the healthcare providers. I mean, how many judgments or damages are, are hospitals going to have to pay before they get the message that you can't be 
freewheeling with people's confidential information. Yes, and when we look at privacyrights.org, for example, that that has uh, documented and chron- uh, has a chronology of all the security breaches starting with 2005 when we had that first choice point um, security breach, you look at that and there's lots of hospitals and medical facilities and that isn't even everyone because I get calls sometimes from from doctors and say, and they'll tell me that, gee, do, what do we have to do? Do we have to call our patients or whatever? You know, we they don't have to put it in the newspaper if they contact each individual um, who has been affected. They don't have to do that. But, you know, now there is like, are they going to want to do that as soon as they call or notify, then they're going to be subject to this these $1,000 a person damages. Is that correct? That's right. Of course, somebody has to go out and hire a lawyer, and the lawyer has to determine that it's a meritorious case. But that is exactly what could happen once the health care provider notifies the consumer. Consumers can go to lawyers, and the lawyers can file lawsuits. They can file individual lawsuits or more likely class action lawsuit. Because filing a lawsuit for $1,000, you're not going to find a lot of lawyers who are willing to take on uh, large medical institutions for that, but they, they, they would do it for a class action because a class action is a perfect vehicle to try to change the way the medical providers are, are dealing with this kind of information. Right. And so it's kind of interesting. When we, you know, I was involved in helping to write the security breach legislation in California, and we had the carrot and the stick. And the carrot was... If you encrypt the documentation uh, and it's lost or stolen and acquired by a third party who's not authorized, then you don't have any duty to disclose. You only have a duty to disclose if you have not encrypted it and you haven't made you know haven't made it so that it's decipherable. And so I would think that if people who are listening here, if there's doctors' offices who are driving by or there's hospitals or anyone's who's listening. If you want to avoid having to disclose, and if you want to avoid these kinds of lawsuits, start encrypting this documentation, and then even if it is stolen or hacked or something like that or transferred by to the wrong hospital or something, then um, then you are at least protecting yourself. Isn't that true? Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes the, the steps that need to be taken to protect this information are ridiculously simple. And some of the cases that I've heard or some of the cases I've actually been involved in, the the information gets disseminated because, and I'm not going to use specific names of medical providers today, but because some of these these medical providers just acted with absolute absence of, of sense of mind. I mean, one case I know in particular, the um, the information was allowed to leave the hospital unencrypted in a, in a personal private computer, and then that computer got stolen. And then that information was available, and it was disseminated, and it was out there. Another case I know is that the medical provider wanted to give a third party an opportunity to bid on a computer program, software computer program for the hospital, and they turned it over to the third party with actual patient records because they wanted to get a demo. And then a disgruntled employee at that third-party vendor um, took that information and put it out on the Internet. And it was so simple for them to have avoided those kinds of problems and so easy. 
and they just don't use their minds when they're doing this. So there are ways to, to learn the lesson and to perfect it, encryption, uh, not letting third-party vendors get real information, or when they do get it, they get it under um, the auspices or the control of the medical provider. So many easy ways for people to protect this, this kind of information. And that's why I think the learning curve, although steep, I think most of these providers are going to get there. They're going to get the message. Right. We are speaking with Brian Kabatek, who is a plaintiff's-only attorney who currently represents thousands of victims of things like mass tort litigation, class actions, which we're talking about right now for medical privacy invasions and insurance bad faith, insurance litigation, personal injury, wrongful death, and commercial contingency litigation. So, you know, I think what's interesting about our California law with regard to protecting medical privacy is that that's that's very different from our financial privacy because right now, if you are a victim of a security breach with your financial information from big banks, et cetera, um, really a lot of the companies, I I mean, rather many of the courts have decided that, um, you know, you, you, if you haven't been hurt yet, that your worries about identity theft or your worries about the invasion of privacy with regard to this loss is really not compensable. So that's been a problem because we don't have these statutory damages, which I think we should have for people who have financial privacy. Because I hear people having problems and worries about all their financial information out there. And unless they become a victim of identity theft and they're really um, hurt egregiously, no one's going to take their case. They they just there's no you know they just aren't doing well. Have you noticed that too with financial privacy? Oh, I, I agree with you 100. percent I think you hit it right on the head. I think without some kind of a, of a downside, medical providers are unique because they have a downside. So you take banks or financial institutions. Where's the disincentive? I mean, other than sending out a letter. And other than potentially bad press, because, you know, we every, few, every now and then, well, more than every now and then, every few days you see it appear in the press, this information went out, that information went out. But other than that, where's the disincentive for the financial institution to keep the information confidential and private? You know, it drives they're, me crazy, uh, you know, because I've been an expert on many of these cases. And um, it just seems to me that they've, they have you know, statutory damages for stupid things like the, you know, the expiration date that showed up on a, on a credit card receipt that, that could not lead to identity theft. But yet when the leg, what the legislature did is they took away any private right of action for, for uh, any kind of class action for financial privacy, you know, and it just makes me crazy when things like this, that consumers really need help all they did was say, okay, the attorney generals can bring a case or the Federal Trade Con- Commission will take a case. Well, they don't take it on behalf of individuals. They take it on behalf of, you know, the organization or the Federal Trade Commission themselves. And so consumers get lost in the shuffle. So I'm really glad to see this law, but I'm very frustrated with all of the poor people who really um, are are. I think, injured, worrying about where is this in financial information going to come up and how am I going to lose my funds out of my bank and what am I going to do? And I'm worried about identity theft. So, it, you know, by taking away a private right of action, you really are just, you know, it's like saying, okay, um, to, to your kids, if you take 
you know, if you don't get home by 10 o'clock at night with your car, you're not going to get the car again. And then they bring the car home at one in the morning and still give them the car. <laughs> that's what it's like to me when I see that there's really no enforcement. And that's why I support, you know, a private right of action when it's a real case. Right. And this is this would be a very easy law to transfer to other areas where information is improperly put out there. Yeah. And not only could you just duplicate this law, but there's there's other ways to do it as well, which would be a disincentive for the financial institutions to allow the information to get out there. Yes. Uh, and also, we should be looking at how many times a financial institution is doing this. I mean, maybe there's a sliding scale. If it's the first time it happens to them, uh, someone could bring a private right of action. Um, some amount of money could be could be paid to uh, a third party and nonprofit if it doesn't go directly to the consumers who you know aren't harmed. But then, if there's a second violation or a third violation, then it gets real serious because nobody is enforcing these laws. The government's overtaxed. The attorney generals don't have the time or the ability to bring every single case that needs to be brought. And if you really want to see change, and one of the ways you see change in our society in general is through meritorious lawsuits being brought which hold people accountable. And this is a perfect example of it. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about how people who are driving by who are patients, how would he or she know if his medical information has been improperly disclosed? If they don't get a letter, um, how else might they find out? A couple of common sense things that I think people can do. First of all, listen to the news, listen to stories that are out there, uh, there are national websites where you can go look to see if information's been disseminated from a particular medical provider or other source. And if you see that there might be a link or a nexus between you and a particular hospital or medical provider or insurer or someone like that, contact them in writing and say, I want to know, was my inform- I heard about this, was my information released? The other thing people can do is periodically look on the Internet, see if there are stories, because one of the great things about the Internet is people um, chatter and blog and talk all the time. And simple searches, you might be able to find information. Now, Mari, you might have, because you're an expert on this, you might have better suggestions or additional suggestions, but I think people have to have some responsibility for looking at their own, uh, checking on their own privacy from time to time, you know, within reason. Yeah, and there's a couple things that they can do, and one is to go to the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse that lists all of the breaches that, that are made public. And they, they have it right there. It's called Chronology of Security Breaches, and they always have the, the ones with medical privacy. The other thing is you can, when you're talking about check yourself out, you can um, do a Google alert with your name, any way you spell it, and then any time your name comes up on the Internet, uh, you can get a copy. Another thing, get, get copies of your medical records and see if there's anything in there that maybe could be identity theft. That's, you know, if things don't belong to you or errors on your credit on your records that that could tell you but um yeah because there there are a lot of things that can happen with your medical records and then there's the mib which is the medical information bureau you can do a free check on your medical information that's reported to insurance companies at by going to mib.com so those are some things that you can do but it's real scary now you know because we really need to have privacy by design with all of these um you know, electronic medical records. So I just wanted to ask you, we don't have a lot of time, but um, 
do you have any other, um, do you have any articles like on your website that you could give your website and tell us a little bit more about what you do? Well, thank you for asking, Mary. I appreciate that. I, I First, I'll give my website, which is KBK, King Boy King, KBK Lawyers, that's plural, dot com, KBKLawyers.com. And there is information on there about some of the cases we've handled, about the kind of information that we're looking for. Uh, and we're always out there in the in the world looking to help people who have these kinds of problems or who know of these kinds of problems. But our practice isn't exclusively limited to doing privacy cases. We do class action cases and mass tort cases and all kinds of uh, cases where we, we believe that we can effectuate change to the court system. Well, thank you for wearing your white hat and thank you for all the great work you're doing out in our society. We really very much appreciate it and thank you for joining us. We will have you back again, okay? Thank you, Mari. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. There you can see our upcoming guests. You can click on their URLs. You can listen to archived interviews, download podcasts, and write us all sorts of emails about what's important to you or who you think we should interview. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.